the sequins on all the circus costumes. So she likes beadwork. Do you like the beadwork? Cool. Okay, I'm going to stay down here because I can't walk in this thing. And you have to use your imagination, go back 20, 25 years. <laughs> okay, have a facelift. Um, you know, <laughs> a few, few weeks ago when I knew I had to do the thing at Ballina, I asked um, Matt and Tash for a lend of the old movie The Princess Bride. Does anyone remember watching that? Okay, and you know, that's a profound little story um, about a guy called Wesley and a girl called Buttercup. And um, he vows to return for his bride. He vows that he will return and claim her for his bride. And, um, you know, the story goes on to show how there's this battle that goes on. First of all, she battles with despair. Is he ever going to come back? And then, um, and then she battles with temptation to stay faithful and this wicked, evil prince tries to nick off with her. And um, for uh, Wesley to actually claim her as his bride, he's actually got to lay his life down to the point of death. And, um, and then as the movie goes on, if you've seen it, that he wins Buttercup as his bride. They have that fabulous kiss and they go off into the sunset and live together happy ever after, okay? And all the girls go, ah, uh, and all the guys go under sufferance, okay? <laughs> all right. But the news for you today is God is the ultimate romancer, okay? And the Jews, who were his original people, he actually um, put in their culture many, many things that, that taught about his nature and taught about the relationship that he wanted to have with us, his people, on the earth. And um, one of those traditions is actually the whole tradition of betrothal and marriage. And I'm just going to um, take a little time today and describe to you what was, that was like because it is so other than what we experience in our Western world. We need a little bit of educating on it. So when a young man saw a girl that he liked, he'd go and have a chat to his dad um, and talk to, her about, um, talk to him about marrying her. But, you know, quite often it wasn't even like that. It was the dad who chose the girl for his son. And um, anyway, when they got all that sorted out, they'd head off to the bridegroom's father's house to get his approval as well. So both dads had to have the approval. Um, so they'd go off and they'd speak to her and they'd bring costly gifts. They'd bring, you know, beautiful jewellery. Um, they'd usually bring some kind of very amazing um, garment that she could wear as her wedding outfit um, and they gave gifts to the family. So um, sometimes the prospective bride didn't even get to see the guy that she was going to marry. Okay, it was all arranged for her but she did have to agree in the Jewish culture. She could say no. Okay, now that sounds really strange to us but I remember Neville asking a young Christian Indian girl a few years ago in India and he goes, you know, because she was arranged to be married. And he went, you know, how do you cope with that? Um, how, how do you feel about your father actually arranging? And in India, the girl doesn't really have a say, not like in the Jewish culture, have, arranging your marriage. And she had a good dad, okay, so just to put that in perspective. And her answer really surprised Neville. She said this, she goes, I'm excited because I know my father loves me and he would only pick the very best for me. And he's smarter than me. How amazing is that? Okay, how incredible is that? Okay, so in the Jewish tradition, the bride's father and the daughter would agree. Okay, they would come to agreement, not like in the Indian tradition. Okay, and then several important things would take place. 
First of all, there would be a covenant written, a contract, a wedding contract. And that was actually a legal document. If you broke that contract, it would be like having a divorce, okay? So this is like the betrothal period. This is like what we would call engagement but completely different to how we perceive an engagement. Um, and in that, he would promise to um, honour and cherish and provide for his future wife, his current bride, okay? It was signed by two witnesses and the bride and the groom were assigned a friend each. So often in the Bible you come across this term, the friend of the bridegroom or the friend of the bride. And their job was to make sure they kept, kept their betrothal commitment to, to each other, okay? So then they would sit down and they would drink a cup of wine together. Okay, ring a bell. And when they did that, that actually sealed the covenant. Um, then he would give um, the gifts that he'd brought, okay, this beautiful jewellery and um, usually beautiful garments, especially if the girl was poor. The groom would actually provide her wedding garment and it was made out of beautiful linen. Um, and it was actually made out of the same material that priests robes were made out of like really fine beautiful linen um and then he would do the bride price okay he would pay a price for her and it would be a lot okay um he would either give land or a huge sum of money or amazing amount of um, livestock whatever was um in proportion to where they were at financially and it was a big sacrifice okay for him to do that so for a young man to marry a girl he had to be totally serious because it was a major purchase okay that he was gonna have to outlay then after that they would celebrate a meal together they would have bread made from honey flour and oil and then um, he would stand up if it was him or sometimes if the groom wasn't present it would be the father's servant okay the groom's father's servant either one they would stand up and a little speech would take place and he would say, now I am going away, okay, and I'm going back to my father's house and I'm going to build our bridal chamber, okay, which from what I can gather becomes their bedroom for the rest of their married life, okay. Um, and so he would go away and, and prepare this place for them to have their honeymoon in and that's what he'd say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Okay, now the bride, even though that's a hard call, you know, you've got to wait all this time, because it was normally something like a year or two years that he would be out of her sight. That's if she'd ever got to see him. Um, and so he would go away and he would build this, um, this bridal chamber. But she knew that he was coming back because he'd already paid an incredible price for her. Okay, So she knew that he would be faithful to that. So he would go away and he'd be building away this um, amazing chamber. And it had to meet the approval of his father. And in that... They stocked it with all the provisions for a whole week, okay? And it was beautiful and romantic and lavish and, you know, a really nice place to take your girl. Because when they actually got married, they would stay in there for seven days straight and not come out. Isn't that amazing? Okay? And if anyone asked the bridegroom while he was away building this wonderful room, okay, when, we, when are you getting married? He'd say, I don't know. Only my father knows because he has to approve of everything before he can get married. So he didn't really know the date. Only the father knew the time. Any bells ringing for people here? Okay, so then after that happened, okay, the, 
groom's gone away, the bride actually was immersed in water. She took a bath and that was like a, a ritual cleansing and that sort of dedicated her that now she was set apart. She was already chosen. Someone had claimed her. She was a bride. Um, and then she began to wait and she would wait and wait and wait and she would wear a veil whenever she went out, okay? And um, when she was at home, it was cool. She took a veil off. But when she went out, she'd have this veil on. And everyone, especially all the other blokes in the village, they would know that she was claimed as a bride. And the words that they used was that she was set apart. She was consecrated. She'd been bought with a price. Okay? So the veil actually was a representative that on her wedding day, her husband would be her covering. Okay? Um, not only would he physically cover her, but he would be her spiritual covering. And like in the book of Ruth, when um, Boaz covers the skirt over Ruth, when she goes and does that appeal to him, um, it's the same kind of thing. It's like you're getting covered over, okay? It's that same kind of picture that's happening. Um, often that veil would be big enough that when the bride and groom got married, it would cover both of them. It's quite amazing. And as time went on, that veil actually... Um, wore the title of a prayer veil. So it became this prayer covering. Okay, so she was a virgin from that point on, from the contract of the marriage contract on to the day of her wedding. um, Both remained virgins for those one or two years and up till their actual wedding day. And um, she didn't keep company with other young men. She um, used the time to prepare herself for her wedding. And the things that she did was, you know, like all the girl stuff, get all the nice perfumes and oils going um, and um, just ready herself and get excited about the fact that her groom was going to come. Now, as the time went on, um, obviously, as, you know, a year was unfolding, he could come at any moment, okay? So she'd be at home waiting, ready. And one of the things that she would have is um, a lamp because the tradition was that he would come at night. He could even come at midnight, okay? Um, And so she always had to have a lamp ready with oil because if he came in the dark to claim her as his bride, then, you know, it's dark. You've got to find your way, all right? So she's got this lamp, um, um, you know, waiting and ready. Okay, so I'm just there going, imagine the anticipation, okay, like built up in this culture. And I'm there going, how have I ever felt like that kind of scary anticipation? And I remember back in a time, if you can bring that up, Ruth. Oh, there you go. (laughs) When I was 19. (laughs) How old were you, Neville? Had you turned 21? Just about. You were 20 20 and 10 months or something, weren't you? There you go. A glimpse. Was it? A blast from the past. Okay, so here I was. I was 19. Neville and I had fallen in love, but he spent two years in America away from me okay he went off to America to study agriculture and to get some agricultural work experience and uh, but we kind of knew in our hearts even though we weren't engaged that you know marriage was probably going to happen in the future someday and this is way way back in the caveman days okay there were no mobile phones all right there were no there was no internet there was no Skype nothing like that And Neville and I, we only had at our fingertips snail mail. And we actually, because we were both um, students and very undercashed, okay, we made use of these wonderful little things called aerograms. Okay, everyone remember aerograms? That's my age and up. (laughs) Okay. And they were like these paper thin, like as thin as onion skin, paper thin pages 
that you wrote like really, really tiny, tiny, tiny writing on. They were only about this big and then they folded up into their own envelope and they were lightest things you could send airmail overseas. Okay, and we'd, we'd write one of those every week. I sound like an old grandma, don't I? We'd write one of those every week to each other. We're really good at communicating. Okay, and, um, but something really happened, uh, special happened when Neville went to go away. I had uh, two friends in the church I was in and they were married to each other. And um, <laughs> anyway, they, um, they came alongside me and um, they just said, like, Neville's going away, but we, we just want to really um, support you in this. And they became my really close friends. They said, oh, we want to be a brother and a sister to you. And, um, and so they'd pick me up on, um, on Saturday, take me surfing like Neville used to. They'd come, Carolyn would come with her push bike and they'd take me bike riding like Neville used to. And um, they'd sit in church with me on Sunday like Neville used to. They'd have me around for meals. They'd take me to Christian surfers meetings. And they constantly, they were really cool. Warren was great. He used to always say, have you heard from Neville this week? And we'd have a little Neville talk. They'd keep me going. And they really shepherded me through that whole time, okay? I never felt alone because they were by my side. I had my friends supporting me. Okay, but then came the day when Neville was to arrive home from America and I was so nervous. I had like the sickest pit in my stomach and it wasn't because, um, like for any bad reason, but I think inside I was really scared that when he walked through the doors at the airport I wouldn't recognise him. Like and I used to try and imagine going, like, we, you know, we saw photos and stuff like that, but I'm there going, I can't even remember what his eyes look like. You know, um, it was really scary. So anyway, here we were at the airport and if you know anything of Neville's family, they're all really outgoing and incredibly vivacious. And so Neville's dad had this big, gigantic foam hand and his mum had like 12 tea towels and everyone in the family had tea towels. And like, and I'm feeling like really intimidated by having to see Neville for the first time. And so I slinked off, okay, away from the family and got as close to the airport doors as I could possibly get. And, you know, like every time they'd open, you'd look through, is he there? Can I see anyone? He remotely reminds me of Neville. And um, anyway, I was feeling really nervous. And this guy comes through the door and I'm going, well, it could be Neville. (laughs) Is it Neville? You know, like, and it's like, oh, no, he doesn't look like that, does he? I was like, oh, phew, it's not Neville. And I was like, I was getting really tense. Anyway, and then I was like looking through the door. Here comes the guy. He's about the right height. He's got the same colour hair. Is that Neville? No. Oh, no, that's not Neville either. Anyway, I was just about ready to burst. And next minute I felt this arm around me. And I turned and it was my dad, okay. And dad had seen me slink off and he knew I was like freaking out on the inside. And he just came and he put his arm around me. He didn't say anything because dads normally don't have to. And I just went, it's okay now, dad's by my side, okay. And then Neville came through the door and I knew it was him. And I was like, phew, (laughs) I know. It's like, here he comes. And because I'd made my way right up next to the airport doors, I got the first kiss. So, um, yeah, and everyone cheered and the tea towels went off. Okay. So I think I have a little bit of an understanding about that, you know, the anticipation. So anyway, back to the wedding traditions. Okay, so as time went on, our bride was waiting and waiting and waiting. And she was at home every night, but she wasn't at home every night all by herself. 
all her girlfriends and her sisters, they called them the virgins, okay, were all waiting at home with her because they're all part of the wedding party. Can you imagine? Girls, the girl thing that was going on. And, um, and you know, so it was girl time, big time. They were having fun, they were, you know, probably doing their nails and all that, you know, all that stuff. And, um, and so there they'd be waiting and as time went on it was like, could be tonight, could be tonight, could be tonight and the excitement's building. Because what would happen is the bridegroom and all his friends would come as a surprise, okay? And they'd whisk away the girls, all the girls that were there, all the girls would get picked up and whisked off into the night. They made sure they got the chick with the veil on, okay? <laughs> Didn't make that mistake. And so they're actually stolen out of their houses. How incredible is that? So here's all the girls in there. They might have fallen asleep because, you know, they've been doing this night after night after night and the hour's getting late. But all of a sudden they hear this and the trumpet would blast and there'd be a shout and she'd whack on a veil. Quick, quick, quick. They're coming, they're coming. Everyone got their lamps, you know. And bursting in, they grabbed the girl with the veil, she'd keep a veil on, but I'm not going to because I can't see my notes, and, um, and they're off they go, you know, and they go through the streets, there'd be all this fanfare, all this laughing, singing, it must have been a pain if you had a lot of people getting married and you're trying to sleep, you know, imagine that every night of the week, but anyway, they'd be singing out, and as they go along, she'd have the veil on, so if people didn't know her, they didn't know who the bride was. And, uh, but they'd gather more and more people on their way to the wedding and they'd get to the um, bridegroom's father's house, okay, and there'd be another great big crowd gathered there because the father had forewarned. He was the one who picked the date. So there'd be all these guests there waiting. Now the groom would wear what was called, and you read it in your Bible, the wedding garment, okay? And his wedding garment was also a white robe. It was the kind of robe that the priests used to wear for sacrifice. It was the robe that they wore at the Passover. And any man worth his salt, okay, who rocked up to a wedding would wear the same, this same robe, okay? So all the guys were decked out in it. So all the men in the crowd were all wearing this. The bride had her veil on. And um, you know the Hebrew word for wedding actually means to take home or to carry up, which is quite incredible. So then the bride arrives, her mum and dad conduct her to the chamber that the guy's been building all this time. Okay, and they go inside... She removes her veil and she unties her hair because now, for the first time in that long betrothal, they're actually going to know each other as husband and wife. They're going to enjoy each other in intimate sexuality, okay? And we kind of go, ooh, like everyone's standing around outside and they're off in this chamber. Um, you know, like, whoa, what's going on here? Anyway, it's quite incredible because in the Jewish culture, like, they were just fabulous. Those two young people didn't enter that chamber ignorant, okay? He'd been taught by his dad. She'd been um, taught by her mother and her sisters. They knew exactly how to love each other and how to love each other right. So it was a good, good experience, okay? Um, and so then the marriage was consummated. And they used to call that fully knowing or face to face, okay? Um, another one is um, they used to actually keep the sheet from that union as proof of the girl's virginity, okay? And you kind of go, do you have to go, like, it's like... But in those days, it was like an insurance policy. And this is the amazing thing. 
is that it declared that she was holy and blameless. Okay, Roger used those words in communion today. And um, that's quite incredible. Okay, so it was a blood-stained sheep that declared her holy and blameless. Um, okay, that sounds really personal. So here they are in the chamber, okay? And, um, and outside, the whole crowd's waiting, okay? And the um, friend of the bridegroom has a special task, okay? And he's waiting for the groom to... Knock on the door and pronounce to the friend of the bridegroom they had consummated their wedding. Okay, so then the friend of the bridegroom goes out and goes, We can celebrate <laughs> their man and wife. Okay, they got it right. So, anyway, so this big celebration begins to happen, but the bride and groom stay in the chamber for a whole week. Okay, so you can imagine, imagine being a, um, the father of the bride like, and the, fa- the bridegroom's father. You've got no idea how many people are going to rock up to the wedding and they're all going to hang around for a whole week, <laughs> okay? So no wonder we've got those stories in the Bible where they run out of wine, I tell you. So the celebration's beginning outside, um, husband and wife enjoying themselves inside and then finally at the end of the week they come out, they're man and wife, they introduce themselves to, to everybody and then they have this massive big, what we know as the wedding reception. They have this huge big marriage supper, okay? And everyone has a good time and finally all the crowd goes home and the couple go off to live in the house of the father forever, okay? Is that cool? Got the picture? All bells of recognition ringing off, off there. Okay, now God in the Old Testament, he actually chose to depict his relationship with his people in this way as well, that that God and his people would be a betrothed couple. And because ultimately out of that relationship, he was going to bring salvation to the whole world, to every people group, okay? Out of the fruit of their relationship, eventually the Messiah would be born. So in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to do this real quick, um, it just like has... So many descriptions as God as the bridegroom and what he does for his people, how he lavishes on her, how she's chosen, how he blesses her. But there's one thing that I just want to draw attention to. It says, um, I have clothed you with fine embroidered linen, a costly garment. It was made out of the priest's fabric, which is what I told you before. And in God's word, it says that it meant that it was righteousness and salvation. Those garments were righteousness and salvation. Okay, it goes on, it says that her beauty symbolized salvation and righteousness. Okay, and he bestowed his grace and his blessing upon her. In Isaiah 116, it says that she gets washed clean, and and out of that washing clean, okay, she is to seek justice. Reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. That was like her, her, you know, like part of the fact that she was set apart. Um, Then it goes on, and God continually says, "You're exceedingly beautiful. You flourish like a garden. You'll be famous among the nations." Okay, not for her fame, but so the nations would come to know the Lord through salvation. Um, That He desired to bring her home, and then it says that the the fruit of their marriage would be the future generations. They're called the princes of the nations and ultimately the Messiah would come. Okay, So God lavishes all this stuff on his people to show that he's betrothed to them. And, you know, 
they, the people contributed nothing, okay? They were destitute as far as anything in this relationship. They had no merit. They had no worthiness. It was all by his grace. But you know, in the book of Ezekiel, it says that sadly, God's people used the very gifts that God had given them. Or, um, the beauty, the garments, the jewellery, the food, the um, fruitfulness, the offspring, the fame. They, they, they became proud. They became unfaithful to him. Their betrothal was broken, okay, because they disobeyed his law. They committed adultery to, by worshipping hideous pagan idols. Um, they became incredibly materialistic. They became proud and they became merciless. And the Bible strongly says they did not look after the poor. They did not look after the needy. They did not look after the oppressed. They rejected God as their one and only But then we see in the Bible this incredible picture of God's redeeming love. He just will not give up. He will not stop pursuing. He knew that us as people, that people had no ability on their own to remain faithful. And so he institutes a new betrothal covenant and one that's going to last forever because this time he's going to send his own son as the bridegroom And his own son is going to lay his life down to the point of death and pay the heaviest bride price ever. His shed blood would be, it would be the garments that Christ has that are bloodied that are going to declare the bride holy and blameless, okay? And the new company of people he would call his church, his bride, okay? And once again, it's the people who are undeserving of the grace of God. We're lost without his salvation. We've been brought with the most costly price and the gift that he has given us is incredible because he has gifted us with his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit is now the friend of the bride who sticks with her and empowers her to keep up with her end of the deal, okay, just to keep up with her commitment. So Jesus is our ultimate bridegroom and in Ephesians it says this, It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water. She's going to get immersed. With the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Okay, and he has gone away to prepare a place for us, but he has left his two witnesses, his Holy Spirit and his word, okay? He's still at Father's house preparing the way for us and one day he's going to return in his wedding robe, okay, with a trumpet shout and a loud loud shout. He's going to return in his robe that's going to remind us that he was the sacrifice, that he's the priest, but also that he's dressed us in priestly robes, okay? that we are to be priests as well. Um, And he's going to take us home to Father's house. There's going to be this massive big wedding feast at the end of time, okay? There's going to be a consummation of the church. But in the meantime, we are to act like a covenanted bride, a betrothed one, okay? Waiting for our bridegroom to come. We are to act as one who's been set apart and has been bought with an incredible price. 
And so we need to have our wedding garments on, okay? Our robes of righteousness and salvation. Not self-righteousness, but priestly robes because we wear these not for our own benefit, for the benefit of other people. We are the stand-in-the-gap people. Okay, Isaiah 61.10 says this. He says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Okay, the Bible goes on to tell us that it's only those that are wearing the wedding garments that are actually going to go to the wedding when the bridegroom comes. And when he comes, it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, we don't know when that time is, but it's going to be fabulous. Okay, who's looking forward to that? Okay, bring it on. Yeah? Okay, the New Testament has a strong warning for us. All right, we all want to rock up to that wedding, don't we? You don't want to miss it. And Jesus says some very interesting parables. Because there are some people who actually miss out on going to the wedding who actually thought they were going and were invited to go and should have gone. And when we read in um, the book of Matthew, first of all we come across a story in Matthew 22 about a great wedding banquet. And at this banquet we come across some rude wedding guests They've got an invitation, but they're too busy, they're too occupied, they've got way too many more important things in life to do than turn up to the wedding. Thank you very much. My life's too important. A little further on in that story, we also discover that there's some wedding guests at the wedding, but they haven't got the wedding garment on. And so they're actually asked to leave the wedding okay and you've got to remember that the wedding garment that's provided it's the priestly garment but it's one that's been washed in the blood of Jesus okay and so if they are not wearing that garment then they're not welcome at the wedding between those two parts of this parable an interesting thing happens so you've got the rude guests and you've got the exposed guests and in between the master of the, the great banquet <laughs> sends his servants out and he says, I want, you to, I want my banqueting house full. You know, we're ready to go here. I want it filled up. And he says, I want you to go out to the highways and the byways and bring the people in. And Luke's version says, I want you to go out and find the poor. I want you to go out and find the crippled. I want you to go out and find the blind. I want you to go out and find the needy and compel them, bring them in, carry them in, okay? Carry them in to my banqueting house. And so the wedding will go on. Now, in Luke 14, it says, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Now, further on in Matthew, in chapter 25, a very well-known chapter of the Bible, there's a few stories there that also are about weddings, okay? And the first one, you remember well, is about all the virgins that were having the girl party, waiting for the bridegroom to come. And the Bible says there's five wise and five foolish, okay? So there's these foolish girls who um, have gotten complacent, Okay, they'd gotten used to the party scene and it didn't turn them on anymore. All right, they'd gotten a bit sleepy. 
They'd been doing this night after night and they'd just gone grown weary or gotten bored and they'd run out of oil for their lamps and had forgotten to get fresh oil, okay? And so when the bridegroom arrives and everyone gets stolen away, they're out running around trying to find oil to fill up their lamps and they get to the wedding feast and the doors are locked and they don't get in. And uh, a lot of times uh, throughout, you know, Bible commentary history, they refer to that as that all of a sudden they're not fresh in the Holy Spirit anymore, okay? Something's gone wrong in their life. They've lost their first love. In Galatians it says, But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. Okay, we've got to sow to the Spirit. We need to make sure we are fresh and empowered by the Holy Spirit or we're going to grow weary in doing good. This church has got a, a, a heart passion for the lost, a heart passion for the hurting, a heart passion to speak out on behalf of the oppressed. But we've got to sow into the Holy Spirit. We've got to make sure we're not going to be the ones left without oil in our lamps. Okay, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, we are not saved by good works. That is not the gospel at all. But the gospel tells us that once we are saved, we are saved for good works, okay? And that's going to bring glory to Jesus. And we can invite other people in through that to join in the wedding party. So let's have a look and see what the good works are again, okay? So further on in Matthew, um, towards the end of that chapter about the wise and the foolish virgins, we see that there's a king and, um, and it's like a picture of like judgment day. It's like the end of the world and, um, and you know, we're going to see if we stand up to being holy and blameless, okay? The sheet's being brought out. What's it going to say about us? And it says the king, or I'd like to call him the bridegroom, will say, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then he goes on to say, as you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And we know that as that story goes on, there's another group of people and the king goes, go away from me, I don't know you because you didn't feed the hungry and you didn't look after the poor and you didn't visit the sick person and you didn't take the stranger in and you didn't clothe the naked and you didn't um, visit me when I was in prison. You know, the good works, the righteous deeds, okay, this... The priestly robe that we wear, wear that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb is so that we can bring other people to the wedding feast, okay? People who have no idea that there's even a wedding feast on. And the Bible says it's going to be from every people group, every nation, okay? They're going to be across the street from us and they're going to be across the sea from us. And it's up to us to not grow weary in doing it. 
You know, when Neville and I came to uh, Byron Bay, um, or when we knew we were coming to Byron Bay, God gave us a fabulous scripture in Isaiah 61. And we've already read a bit of it today. If you wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles, if you've got them with you, I'm going to read it. Because this, this scripture for us is like a prophetic scripture over this church. And um, every time I go back to it, I just go, God, I can't believe how you're just speaking what's happening at the moment through this, um, uh, through this um, chapter. I just want to read it to you again. So it's Isaiah 61. And this is in my Bible. Oh, I can't get my glasses on with my veil. In my Bible, I've got Byron Bay written all over it. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come. That's pretty exciting. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies to all who mourn in Israel. He will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong, graceful oaks for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities long ago destroyed. They will revive them. Though they have been empty for many generations, foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plough your fields and tend your vineyards. You'll be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You'll be fed with the treasures of the nations. And will boast in their riches. Okay, we know that the treasures of the nations are the people. Instead of shame and dishonour, you will inherit a double portion. This is like a bride's inheritance here. A double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known and honoured among the nations. Everyone will realise that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. It says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he's dressed me with the clothing of salvation, draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels. And then it finally says, The sovereign Lord will show his justice To the nations of the world, everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring, filled with young plants springing up everywhere. Wowee, there's our picture of the wedding and our picture of the garden again. So finally, the wedding is going to come. And in Revelations 19, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. Yahweh, good on you, Matt. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then in Revelations 21, the bride actually gets called the wife. Okay, so this is after the consummation. And I saw her coming down out of heaven from God. 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with them and they will be his people. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, having the glory of God, her radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Her lamp, which is never going to go out, is the Lamb and by its light will the nations walk. Nothing unclean will enter in. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, and in Revelations 22 it says this. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. You know, when I was going growing up, I used to hear that little phrase a lot. And in my thinking, I thought it was like the Spirit and the Bride saying, come back, come back, hurry up. Come back, Lord Jesus, come back. We want you back, you know, like come and take us away. And, you know, the Bible goes on to say, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. They're not talking to Jesus. They're not talking to the bridegroom. It says, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. This is the spirit, the friend of the bride, and the bride, echoing the Father's heart, calling out to the thirsty, calling out to the hungry, going out to the oppressed, going out to the crippled, going out to the lame, the hurting and the poor and the lost and calling them in, calling them in to drink, calling them in to eat, calling them in to be loved. And it goes on, it says, Come, drink from the water of life, come, without charge come it's free it's free i loved matt's songs today all about freedom it's free um you know it's got to be with the holy spirit we've got to have a relationship with his holy spirit we need the friend of the bride for us to do this luke 12 says this it says stay dressed for action okay another version says stay dressed for service okay for doing those good righteous deeds for caring for the oppressed okay keep your lamps burning and be like the servants who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they can open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he returns. He will dress himself. This is so amazing. He will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. This is the bridegroom. Okay, if we're going to keep with the Holy Spirit and keep about his heart, he's the one who's going to come and serve us, recline at table with us, like he's going to come and be our bridegroom, like he's going to come and and lavishes you must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect um just uh the other week i got to go to color color your world the conference down in sydney and um at the end of that conference i was just sitting there and it was incredible the amount of references all the way through the conference to the spirit and the bride coming and i knew i was going to be doing this message and i was kind of like sitting in it and they just continually kept using these little phrases like they always have all beautiful um, imagery. They had this stunning image of this dove 
that was three-dimensional and it came out over like the, the you know, what are, how many thousand women were, were there, 10,000 women, like this massive dove. And it's like when the image came on, like you just felt drenched in the Holy Spirit. It was unbelievable. And, um, but just this stirring that's going on across the planet. Now, I know our church has got a heart um, to help the oppressed and to make a difference and to stand up for the cause of justice. But we've got to be fresh in the Holy Spirit or we're going to run out of steam, okay? And, but the exciting thing is for the first time in my life, and I've been in church for my whole life, okay, I truly, truly sense in the Holy Spirit that it's like um, this is, you know, like it could be any day, okay? could be any day. Um, like the world is in a mess, so it's not going to be tonight. <laughs> I know that for a fact, okay? But across the globe, as this, this tidal wave of righteousness is rising up, the very thing that's uniting the bride across the planet, who's been very sleepy for a long, long time, is the cause of justice. Finally, the bride's waking up and she's uniting with the Holy Spirit and there's this tidal wave, this surge right across the planet in the kingdom of God where all the denomination titles are irrelevant. People side by side are doing great exploits against human trafficking, going in and like transforming communities like they could never imagine not under any one banner, but under a united banner of the bride of Christ. And we don't grow weary in that. There is more work for us to do. We have got to keep our lamps trimmed and burning. We have got to be full of the Holy Spirit so we do not grow weary because there is a tidal wave and we don't want to miss out. We do not want to be asleep. We don't want to have our oil lamps empty. And the bridegroom is going to come the bride is making herself ready and the time is at hand. So I just want to leave you with that today, but I would so love to encourage you, if you feel like your lamp's getting low, to come today and just take this little window of opportunity to just allow the Holy Spirit to anoint you all over again. This is one of your wedding gifts, okay? The anointing is a wedding gift. This is how we're supposed to be adorned for our groom so that we do not grow weary in doing good we do not grow weary at the awesome task of speaking up for those who have no voices of standing up for the oppressed on our planet and that we can link arm in arm with the incredible tidal wave of justice that's rising and rising and rising okay do you want to stand up and we'll worship our bridegroom Sharon, do you want to come and join me? Don, do you want to come? If you really feel like you need to have a fresh anointing in the Holy Spirit today, and we've got anointing oil out here, we would just love to pray for you. Or if you feel like you just need to fall in love with Jesus all over again and find your fresh new love for Him. Or if you feel like you've been growing weary 
taking all that God's called you to Come do. Come and get refreshed. Fall afresh on me Fill me with your power Satisfy my need Only you can make me whole Give me strength and make me grow on me Come Holy Spirit Fall afresh on me Fill me with your power Satisfy my strength and make me grow come Holy Spirit fall afresh on me just before we sing that again if anyone just feels led in the spirit to pray I think it'd just be good just to move forward and Kev uh, Tiff if they're there just anyone else Let's sing this again. Only you can make me whole. Give me strength and make me grow. Come Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on me. Sing that again. Come, Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on me. Fill me with your power. Satisfy my strength and make me grow. Come Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Fall afresh on me. Fall afresh on me. me. 